Welcome to Paper Boys, the weekly podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science news. I'm your host, James. And I'm your other host, Charlie. James, I'm excited for yet another episode, episode number 46. Episode 46, we're getting up there. We're getting up there. Coming up on the one-year anniversary, 52. Oh, so many fond memories. Yeah, we'll have to plan something special for that. Yes, but before then, we have an episode to do. Yes. So, James, you have a paper for us today. What's it all about? This paper is about brown fat and what effects caffeine has on our body. Okay. You guys can't see me right now, but I just made like the grossest grimace. I can attest Charlie is making a pretty gross grimace. The word brown fat just sounds so disgusting. Yeah. It sounds Actually, pretty gross. Let's call this whole episode off, James. <laughs> Find a gross. new paper. We'll record tomorrow. All right. So, Charlie... This episode, truthfully, my hidden agenda is this is my episode to counter your eggs episode. Ooh, bring us back into popularity. Uh, people are like mad about the egg episode. Yeah, I think people will be happy about this episode. All right, that's a good. We'll leave it at that. So James and I are both PhD students and we read a lot of papers in our own research. And so we've sort of developed a knack for getting it done quickly and doing it effectively and communicating the science that's that's there. So we started this podcast as a way to share this love for science and demystify science that's in the news by actually uncovering those papers, direct from the source, if you will. In short, we are the Paper Boys. Before we get started on this episode about caffeine and brown fat, um, we just wanted to first off say thank you for again listening to our podcast. If you aren't already, please do follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at paperboyspod. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's comments, thoughts, questions, concerns, new papers, feelings of the day. Feel free to reach out. Also, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We just released our first bonus episode, which was about uh, the experiment that confirmed Einstein's theory of relativity. This It was honestly like the most fun that I've had recording an episode of Paper Boys. It was great. Yeah. I, also a really cool experiment that just celebrated its centenary, centen centenary. <laughs> its 100th birthday uh, just last month. Yeah. So it was cool. We dug into some news articles from the year 1919, which was fun and yeah, it was just overall like a really fun episode to do. Cool spin on on this show if you happen to enjoy the format. So check that out, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We've also just updated the website as well. New yes. release. Uh, check it out, paperboyspodcast.com. Yeah, we slaved away at that one and we think it looks nice. But we're looking for beta testers. Tell us what any any mistakes there. So Yes. James. Let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's get down to brown fat here. <laughs> what is brown as fat? They say, as they say. All right. So brown fat is a fat that people and animals have. Uh, when you're born as a child, you are born made up about 5% of brown fat. Okay. Brown fat is different, though, than white fat, the other predominant fat in your body. Okay. Does this actually have to do with like light and dark meat or is this totally unrelated? No, it's similar. Really? It's similar, I think, because dark meat has more like vascular structure, right? I don't know. 
it just always freaks me out to think like, let's say you were a family of bears uh-huh. and, you were, and you were cooking up a human to eat. Would there be like white and dark meat? Interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Humans are red meat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, well, so it's not like, I don't think dark meat is dark meat because of brown fat. Brown fat serves a different purpose. White fat is the storage of energy. So if you eat too, if you eat excess calories, your body like isn't just going to waste it. It converts it into white fat. Okay. Brown fat, however, though. That was my it, nickname in, in high school. Brown fat? No, white fat. White fat? Really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if you... Charlie. Never mind. So brown fat serves a very important purpose of thermo, thermoregulation in the human body. It consumes energy and creates heat. So like for a baby, this is actually really interesting. Do you know babies don't shiver? What? They haven't developed their shiver response yet. That's so weird. Wait, why do we shiver anyway? Just like to stay warm. Generates warmth. Yeah. Huh. So it consumes energy and turns it into it's like a form of thermogeneration. Okay. So babies don't shiver, but they have brown fat. So they use brown fat to generate heat because they're very incapable oh. of controlling their own temperature otherwise. You know, they have a hard time putting on hats <laughs> and getting out of a cold drafty and area. Turning on the heater and Yeah. I mean, paying babies, the electricity uh, bill. Babies don't really do that. That's no. crazy. All right. So now that I guess my curiosity is satisfied about what brown fat is, what is this paper? Like, how did how did you come across this? Was there news on this? Wait, Charlie, you're missing you're missing one of the key questions here. Uh, okay, which is why is brown fat brown? Oh, I I guess I just don't think about those things, James. The basics, man. It's the basics. Unlike white fat, that was a very planted question. <laughs> Unlike white fat which is storing calories. Brown fat is packed with mitochondria, which are the like, oh, the energy cells, the powerhouse of the cell, powerhouse of the cell. Exactly. And so they burn energy to produce heat. Okay. And brown fat gets its color from having high levels of these iron containing mitochondria. Okay. So brown fat full of mitochondria, lots of powerhouse. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. And that's important for the paper. Okay. Gotcha. So now that now that my curiosity is truly satisfied and i know why brown fat is brown which was clearly burning right in the front of my mind yes where like where did this paper come from what's the what's the story here why was this in the news so this paper came uh it was actually on a lot of different news outlets because it's about caffeine and burning fat which is like to if you want to sell something sell something that involves caffeine and burning fat yeah like the things that every person likes to talk about at the water cooler like oh don't talk to me till i've had my coffee yeah exactly (laughs) exactly in that voice how's your diet going (laughs) some of the headlines that i saw were like cbs news said coffee could help you burn fat new study finds not super interesting or original um no offense cbs news (laughs) uh new york post came out and said coffee and quote brown fat could be the secrets to fighting obesity i'll give you my feelings on that headline later but cnn said could coffee help you lose weight new research suggests a fat busting effect Ooh, fat busting coffee you're getting the trend like and then webmd had an article could coffee be a help in weight loss you got it okay yeah so it's it's pretty self-explanatory you're right that like you put coffee and fat in the same sentence or you have a study that has those two things in it guaranteed coverage 
Yeah. It's like, oh, I can... Anyway, yeah. It makes you feel better about drinking coffee. Who doesn't love drinking coffee? Yeah. So I saw those, and honestly, usually for paper boys, when I see something like that, I'm like, man, this is going to be another one of those, like, coffee studies that sort of like the egg thing where you're like, it's back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, yeah. This one was a little different. This one is very, like, it was a very biological, <laughs> it was a very biocentric paper. Um, oh, really? So it was not, interesting to look at. Not like, um, you know, I guess the point of comparison since you brought it up was the egg study where they are looking at like a huge, it's like a statistical analysis of health data. Yes. Which it seems like a lot of nutrition studies are. This one looked very, this was very much like a cell bio paper. Oh, okay. And um, they did some cool experiments. So after skimming through it, I was like, ooh. Yeah. Um, they did some in vitro and in vivo experiments. So it was kind of wow. cool to see. Okay. Where was this actually published? So this is coming out of the University of Nottingham, primarily. Uh, first author is Senya Velikovic. And then there's like 10 different offers, mostly from Nottingham. with A little bit of collaboration from UCLA slash the Los Angeles Healthcare Systems Veterans Association Endocrinology and Diabetes Divisions. That was a mouthful. <laughs> okay. And this was published in Scientific Reports at the end of June this year. Okay. Scientific Reports. That's like the least descriptive name for a journal, but... Well, I think it's part of science. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, very legit. I'm wrong. It is part of nature. Oh. Nature well, Scientific Reports. You know, I had a lot of respect for this paper, but now... <laughs> yeah, just nature. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So, published in Nature Scientific Reports... Yes. And you said that it has an experimental component to it? Yeah, which... So, like, well, sorry, before I even dive into that, like, what were they setting out to prove here? Like, what was their hypothesis? Why did they even start studying this? Like, coffee and brown fat? What? So, brown fat's interesting because it actually has some interesting properties. Brown fat is very beneficial, and it shows up in interesting places in nature. So, if you look at small mammals, as an example... Some of the longest living small mammals have very high percentages of brown fat in their body. Really? Like what animals? Like a certain species of bat and then certain species species of ground mole. I think if I read okay. it correctly, they have like 30% brown fat body composition. And how long do they live? Or sorry, not 30% composition. They live on the order of 30 years. Oh, 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, and, in the wild, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. And brown fat's important in your... For a small mammal, too, that's a really long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, so why is there, like, a correlation between how much brown fat you have and, like, health or, like, how long you live? It's a good question. So the thing is that brown fat burns fat as fuel. Oh, okay. It's like a cannibal fat. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's just out to get all the white fat. Yeah, well, so, so it's interesting. There's actually, I got down a rabbit hole of brown fat. There's actually two different types of brown fat. One type of brown fat is like white fat that's like converted into brown fat. But then there's like this pure brown fat that has embryonic origins similar to muscle tissue. Okay. So, but oh, so like it, it was sort maybe of like destined different. to be muscle, but then it just became fat. I guess so. If you trace it on its like as its or like as your embryos developing like yeah at some point in time like 
the decision is made like you will be brown fat or you will be muscle tissue that's so weird that there would be two i don't know two ways of producing brown fat yeah and i don't know enough to say why one goes one way or the other okay so i mean it sounds like brown fat is kind of like intrinsic to the body whereas white fat is something that is produced just to just when you eat too much they're both intrinsic but they they serve different purposes yeah different or yeah different sort of origins okay but so what's cool with brown fat is so it burns fat for fuel usually to generate heat right but because of this it helps with things like atherosclerosis i don't know if i said that right but that's where you get fat buildup in your arteries like plaque oh okay so it could help reduce that also is helpful for reducing cholesterol levels improving glucose balance for things like diabetes okay and for checking all the boxes here even bone density and reducing bone loss okay so what you're saying is that brown fat is a superfood uh panacea yeah (laughs) what is wait what is panacea it's like a cure-all oh okay yeah yeah brown fat is put it on the next buzzfeed listicle of (laughs) all you need is some avocados brown fat and a little bit of artificial intelligence and nothing can stop you yeah yeah Especially once you start leveraging big data. I mean, <laughs> yeah, take your brown fat up to the cloud. Yeah, is brown fat IoT enabled? Not yet. Okay. Almost. Okay. All right. I'm on board. I'm on board the brown fat train. Yes, that sounds kind of gross, but <laughs> I agree. It's, it's not something you want to ride. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So brown fat has these health benefits. And one of the things they noticed is that it declines as you get older. Oh, interesting. And so there, people are curious about ways to help stimulate the growth of brown fat. And so things that have been found to work, like cold therapy, so slowly introducing yourself to colder temperatures is actually good. Like just for minutes a day or like living somewhere colder? I think living somewhere colder is definitely correlated with having higher levels of brown fat. Hmm. Um, and I do think different types of cold therapy are supposed to be effective. Like people will talk about training in ice baths and stuff, which is good for oh yeah, uh, like muscle recovery. But it, I think it's also good for helping stimulate brown fat. Hmm. I wonder if that has anything to do with like you know how people will say like you take cold showers and it's good for you. Like I don't know if there's science on that. There might be, but I mean I think it's I think it's based on that idea on like the brown fat idea. I think brown fat is a core part of that. Really, from That's what really I was cool. reading at least. That's yeah. really cool. And. One of the things is that researchers know that food plays a role in brown fat activity, but until this study really like they didn't they haven't really identified specific nutrients that play a role in brown fat activity and stimulation. Okay. So then the goal of this study was to try and like isolate something? Yeah, and so they looked at caffeine. Okay. What led them to look at caffeine? Um like is there previous work on this? So there's been some previous like animal studies that show that these types of brown fat, so both types, could be activated through different nutrients like capsaicin analogs, like that you find in uh, peppers. Yeah, like spicy food. And previously, caffeine's been associated with like weight loss and increased energy expenditure as well. Also, reduced risk of type two diabetes from drinking coffee. Hmm. Yeah. Or getting caffeine. Okay. And there's this, sorry, this is like a long-winded explanation, but this is sort of what they walked through in the paper. We're on a podcast, James. We can take as much time as we want. It's true. Thank (laughs) you for continuing to listen. Um, So they've noticed that there's this protein, it's called uncoupling protein one or UCP one, 
that has been upregulated in certain animals when they take caffeine. What does UCP1 do? So UCP1 is located inside mitochondria that are in this brown fat. And oh, so okay. Like they've seen signs that caffeine might be stimulating the brown fat, but there hasn't been a study yet that says like that directly tests is caffeine stimulating brown fat. And we'll talk about what stimulating actually means in this context. Okay. It's kind of coming together though. I mean, so I, I just want to make sure I understand before we dive into like the specifics on this paper. Yeah. So brown fat has a host of good effects on on animals. Yep. Like they could be good for your health. It's made up of a lot of mitochondria. Yep. And caffeine is shown to induce production of this UCP1, which is a protein found in mitochondria. Yes. As well as like giving people more energy and sort of showing these effects that brown fat does as well. So there's sort of I this see. correlation between caffeine and what brown fat does. I see. So trying to look to see maybe like, is there a little bit more causation here than just correlation in my own words? Okay. That helps me. So there's like a natural reason to, to draw a connection between these two. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to like understand why that was. Yeah. That it wasn't just for the reason of like, like we said at the beginning, like, well, uh, people seem to like coffee. Why don't we write a paper about caffeine? <laughs> this is going to go viral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So there was, there's been a lot of lead up science to it as well. And sort of a side motivator for this as well is brown fat's actually hard to measure in the body. Hmm. You end up having to do two different scans. You have to do a CT scan to find fat deposits. And then you have to do a PET scan, PET scan to look for areas of high metabolic output. Okay, because the brown fat, because its role is sort of like consuming energy and producing heat. But That's it, why you need to correlate the metabolic energy with it. But you don't want to confuse it with white fat. Right, right. right. And brown fat shows up in sort of strange areas. You can almost... Yeah, that was my next question is like, I mean, when you get fat, like it usually kind of collects in the same pretty common culprits like the stomach like the hips yeah you know for white fat that's definitely true for brown fat it's actually like it's difficult to measure so usually upper chest and neck people have brown fat and then they also find it sort of down like the spinal column a little bit huh interesting. vertebrae and then some other places and so these researchers have they've done some past work uh to use thermal imaging so like flur Oh, yeah, or FLIR, whatever it's called. FLIR, FLIR, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like they, it's a, I mean, it's a thermal camera. It's like, think of like in, what's the movie? Is it Predator? Yeah. Where he has the the thermal vision. <laughs> tracking people. Yeah. yeah. Like Sounds an actual, like, like we have a thermal camera in lab and like you can look around at stuff and it shows stuff is red if it's hot and it's blue if it's cold. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Dude, why would you do anything else other than play with that? Yeah, it's pretty fun to mess around with. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a thermal imaging way. Uh, to look for brown fat that they've tested previously and so this is sort of a way to do in vivo tests with humans then so correct me if i'm wrong but you would have to be imaging fat that's like near the surface then right if you're just aiming a camera at a person's like skin you're not like opening them up right no they're not opening them up okay so it it, it seems to show that it's not just like skin temperature like right. the resolution i'll show you the pictures that they have yeah. um it's pretty cool so you actually do notice a difference um, in the skin temp in these areas where there's brown fat. And they, they okay. do a test to, to show whether it's like 
actually from the caffeine or not. Okay. So it sounds like they're doing, they've identified where the brown fat is in these people, these participants. Yeah. And they can actually measure the heat. You said there was also an in vitro part of this. Is that the right word? Yeah. What what was that? So just taking a step back real quick, they did it sort of in, they presented at least the results in two steps. Okay. So it started with in vitro where they basically grew these these fat cells from stem cells from a mat from mice oh really and then just like in like a petri dish they just had like a collection of fat basically from the way i understand it okay (laughs) i'm not a biologist okay and so they exposed the stem cell generated brown fat cells to caffeine one micromole and found increased amounts of this ucp1 protein they also saw different signs of increased cell metabolism really how how, wait sorry first how do they introduce caffeine to these cells just like squirted it i think so okay i think they live in some sort of solution and they injected it i was wondering that. okay i didn't quite clean that i mean that's fine i guess i'm just wondering does that mean that like when we drink caffeine is it actually just like distributing around our body that way like is that how chemicals work in the body (laughs) i think it's getting pumped through the bloodstream and then so it spreads through the like your vasculature. Yeah. I guess I just I'm like so far removed from <laughs> biology and all that stuff that I just like there's all this crazy stuff happening right inside my body that I just don't even think about. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, ooh, outer space or whatever. There's very, way cooler stuff going on right here. You can go out for infinity and go in for infinity. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's crazy. It's a crazy life we live in these bodies. Anyway, so they squirt caffeine on it, give it a nice little douse of coffee. Yep. And then you said that they can measure like the metabolic activity of the cells. Do you know how they do that? Yes. So. Okay, good. I just want to know that you knew. Yep. And thank you for listening. Okay. (laughs) So they introduced caffeine to these cells. And then the paper actually, it was interesting to read the specific steps for me as like a non-biologist. Just to see like how many techniques these folks are trained in. It's crazy. Yeah, we talked about this in an old episode. How like, you know, you as an electrical engineer, you take classes where you kind of learn tool sets of like, I know how to use an oscilloscope now. I know how to solder. With, yeah, I know how to work with an op amp. Like in biology, are you learning, are you taking a class where it's like, okay, this is how you measure cell metabolic activity. I don't even know. But like, it probably, I guess. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Any biologist listening, please reach out to us. What is your life like? Tell us what your life is like. Yeah. We'll have you on a grad student highlight. You can tell us all about your toolbox. Reach out. Let us know. And brown fat. And brown fat. Yep. Tell us your thoughts about brown fat. (laughs) So what they did was they did these tests. So they introduced caffeine for, I think, like 21 days. And then they did staining of the cultures. And you can look at fluorescence measurements then uh, to track this UCP1 proliferation. Okay. So they can look at what was the baseline amount of UCP1 and then what was the UCP1, how much UCP1 was there after the introduction of caffeine, but they did more. Okay, wait, we're going to get hung up probably on every little piece of this if I keep asking these questions. And I know we've already established that we're not biologists, but when you say staining and fluorescence, can you just give me like a one sentence what that means? Staining means that they introduce a dye that attaches to like the mitochondria, parts of the mitochondria. Okay. So they can look at how the mitochondria is actually binding to different fats or lipids. Okay. And so they can look at like 
one of the things they looked at was how is the shape of the mitochondria changing? How are the lipids, how many lipids are binding? And then there are certain dyes that they can attach to this protein, like UCP1. So then you shine a light onto it and look at how much is reflected off. I okay, think that's for the fluorescence part. And you can measure the, the, the intensity of the light that is fluoresced. Hopefully that's the right word. <laughs> Whatever, uh, it's a word now. <laughs> you just you can measure that and compare the amounts of reflected light. No, it's not reflected light because, uh, you know, it's... It's like um, excited. Excited. Yeah. Uh, corresponds to the, the amount of whatever it's that dye bounded to. Okay, and you can kind of track like where those proteins are going and stuff. Yeah, so if it's like brighter fluorescence, more protein. Yeah, okay. And right. I can show you the pictures too. Okay. Um, yeah, I appreciate the explanation. Of course. That was more than a sentence. but That's true. So they did this one technique for measuring metabolic activity. There was one other part that they used for metabolic activity. Okay. So these fluorescence for, to measure UCP1. And then they also used this, they called it the seahorse assay. Because I guess the company is called Seahorse. I okay. was disappointed that it's not like, there's nothing related with seahorses. <laughs> but they can use this to measure oxygen consumption, the oxygen consumption rate. And okay. this is an indicator of mitochondrial respiration, which is correlated to production of energy. Gotcha. And extracellular acidification rate, which is an indicator of glycolysis, which is, again, one of those steps in turning like fat into energy. Okay. So, yeah. So, like you said, they have a lot of different ways of looking at this energy consumption. Yep. And, and, and they found that energy consumption went up with caffeine? So... Yeah, they had some interesting findings. Um, they found that caffeine promoted the expression of U- UCP1 and enhanced generation of mitochondria. So more mitochondria were produced after the introduction of caffeine. Oh, whoa. Wait, I didn't realize that like th- there would just be new mitochondria created. I kind of thought that it was like, well, each cell gets a mitochondria. and uh, It's like, hey, Bill, you already got your mitochondria. Back <laughs> yeah. off. I thought it was like, you know, make the workers work harder, not like hire more workers. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, I was surprised by this too. Okay. But they have a picture and you're like, oh, there's more mitochondria there. That's crazy. And he, another cool thing is the shape of the mitochondria actually changed as well. Wait, what? Um, Wait, what is the mitochondria even shaped like? Mitochondria is generally sort of like an oval. And okay. then there's these squiggly lines inside called the lamellar cristae. And so they found that after the introduction of caffeine, the mitochondria had a rounder appearance with more abundant lamellar cristae. Wow. Man, oh man, this this is totally going to change my mornings. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Yeah, like now I'm just going to be now I'm just going to be thinking that. about like I'm feeding my mitochondria, you know, they're so happy. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're drinking the coffee and they're like, ah, getting a little morning stretch, rounding themselves out a little. Round out. Yep. <laughs> Flex those lamellar cristae a little bit. <laughs> Move them around. This is really cool. Yeah. So basically they saw that caffeine was also increasing glycolysis, generation of energy from fat, and oxidative phosphorylation, which I think is another one of the steps in, I think, creating ATP. And another word I never knew existed. Association of Tennis Professionals. <laughs> no. Um, it's like the it's like the building block for energy. It's what like I think muscles use. Gotcha, gotcha. I meant the phosphorylization part. But my shallow understanding of biology is showing. Oh, phosphorylation. Yeah, yeah. Never heard that word. I think it's one of those terms where they're like, this is an important part of biology in bio 101. And you're like, okay, 
and you never take bio again. Yeah. All right. Good. I'm glad that we, the engineers, have been ta- are tackling this bio paper. Yes. So long story short, what did they find from the in vitro test? They said more caffeine, more metabolically active cells. Yeah. One outstanding question I have from the, this part was they actually found that there was a decreasing coupling efficiency in the mitochondria. And I looked for a while to find out what this meant. And I couldn't. I found a cool article about studying mitochondria in Sherpas at high altitude. Whoa. And they said that Sherpas show a high level of coupling efficiency. So maybe it means that their mitochondria uses less to produce the same energy. Yeah. And in this case with caffeine, it's like you consume more, like you're burning the fat. Which I is see. Good. Yeah. Like it takes more work by the mitochondria to burn that extra energy. Yeah. Like it's not as efficient. It's, they're not as efficient, basically. Yeah. Perhaps that, which is good if you're trying to like just burn fat. But yeah. That's a good point. you're trying to haul someone's 200 pound backpack up a mountain <laughs> that's yeah. 30,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's important for this study because they're specifically looking at burning fat. Yeah. Which kind of leads into the, the in vivo experiment. Yes. Did they like confirm what they found with these cell cultures? Yeah, basically. So what they did for the in vivo experiment was they had people drink coffee and water in separate measurements. And then they used this infrared measuring technique. Uh, looking at the supralavicular region, which is so like basically high chest to neck. Okay. Which is the main region of brown fat in most adults. And they found that it got hotter. Interesting. How much hotter did it get? Also, like I just, I know we should have talked about this at the beginning, but I just find myself wondering like, why is that a high region of brown fat? Is it because like your lungs and your heart are there and they need some extra warmth or something like what that's a really that? good question i don't like evolutionarily i don't know why maybe it's because like maybe you radiate a lot of heat out of your you radiate a lot of heat out of your head for sure yeah so maybe it's like a way to sort of like quickly pass heat to your head and neck which oh, are yeah, exposed it's like close by but i don't know like why not in your arms yeah or like your belly or yeah or anywhere uh, anyway sorry anywhere. that's a that's a pointless side note but so i'm curious how much it warmed up by when you said that they measured a difference yeah, so it ends up being, it increases the average temperature by like about a half degree. Celsius? Celsius. Wow, that's pretty noticeable. I mean, like if you, like when you have a fever, you're only off by like a half degree Celsius. And yeah. And you feel horrible. Yeah. Like here I have a the picture, which we'll post a link to the paper. But uh, Charlie, you can see clearly there is an increase in... Oh, yeah. Temperature. It's, it's kind of like, area. I was thinking when you were talking about like upper chest, I was thinking kind of like in your pecs. Mm-hmm. But at this picture, you can tell it's really kind of where your shoulders meet your neck, but like, like on the front side. Front side trapezius. Yeah, like on the front of your traps. That's crazy. And, and they kind of show like a difference picture there. So this is uh, the reduced image of the hottest pixels. Gotcha. Overlaid with an image of the person. Gotcha. And so you can see... It becomes like more concentrated. Yeah. Like, so on the left, there's just kind of like a bunch of hotness kind of spread around. And on so the, hot. So hot. Yeah. What a hot chest. So, and then on the right, uh, after they drank the coffee, it's, yeah, you're right. It's like concentrated into these areas right on the front of the trap. It's really cool. 
did they literally just like drink coffee like there there must have been some more controlled way to introduce caffeine here um i mean so they did actually just drink coffee but uh (laughs) it was sort of funny reading it uh but it was very controlled in the lead up to it okay so they had nine participants four male five female which i was surprised like that seems really few but yeah from their statistical analysis they found that that was enough to show statistical significance with like 95 percent confidence yeah and when you're doing like experimental stuff it's hard to get a lot of people yeah nine people aged 27 six year standard deviation normal bmi and they were imaged using this technique that was developed at the university they started in the morning so like they couldn't like exercise a ton before okay no caffeine use drug use alcohol consumption within nine hours before and um they weren't allowed to eat two hours prior okay so the room was temp controlled and they were able to hang out in the room for like 30 minutes before the trial started just to get acclimated okay so there wasn't like come to equilibrium like like... yeah it's like a nice cool room okay was the coffee hot and the water or what did they i'm assuming they controlled the temperatures of those and it's funny you say that after the baseline acclimatization acclimatization you got it right it's hard to say uh, participants consumed either a caffeinated beverage, which was Nescafe, with 65 milligrams of caffeine in 200 milliliters of water at okay. 22 degrees Celsius. Okay. Or water That's how I take my coffee, funny enough. <laughs> or water alone. At 22 degrees Celsius, 200 milliliters. I think so. Okay. And then they sat for 30 minutes to allow for caffeine absorption, and then they underwent the thermal imaging. Okay. That sounds pretty straightforward. And, oh, sorry. I'm just, like, looking back at my notes. The mean difference was 0.2 degrees Celsius. 0.2. Okay. So, it's still significant from, like, a body temp perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows up. I mean. Yeah. Like, if if it's there, it's there, you know. You see the difference in the mean. Yeah. So, did, yeah. Was the thermal imaging the only thing that they did to show this? Like, do they have any other way of measuring metabolic activity? So they would have had to do the CT scan to identify the regions and then a PET scan where they drink the radioactive material and yeah. then they identify the like the areas of high metabolic activity. But they were sort of building off the previous research they had done that showed like this thermal imaging works, correlates very well with that other method and is way less time consuming. And like costly, yeah. So the thermal imaging is just kind of like a cheap proxy for, for it. Yeah. Well, that's... I feel like that right there is a cool breakthrough. Yeah. If not already done, you know? Yeah, I got the feeling from this paper there's like sort of an opportunity to show off their new method. Well, that's cool. So it sounded like all these news articles were talking about like coffee losing weight. And I don't, I had the impression that this was more of like a nutritional study, but it really doesn't sound that way at all. No, I mean, it's nutritional in the sense of like every paper or like scientific investigation in applied sciences at least is like motivated by something Mm -hmm. so it's like the broader motivation but it's like they didn't look at like if you drink two cups of coffee a day for 30 days will you lose 10 (laughs) pounds yeah i don't know so i guess yeah i mean i guess knowing something about brown fat and knowing what now caffeine does with brown fat you can kind of draw some conclusions i'm curious what in the author's words what do they see as the significance of this? It's a really good question. What they said in their own words was that these results provide new complementary evidence, both in vitro and in vivo, 
it's really important in bio, that caffeine can promote brown fat functions. And it's doing so at levels that are like compatible with human consumption. Like yeah. 65 milligrams of caffeine is like, Yeah, you don't need to fine. Like, you don't need to like history. snort a line of pure caffeine or something. <laughs> no, which I think is like some of the issues they run into with like some of those turmeric studies where they're looking at mm. like, oh, if you eat lots of curry with turmeric, like it'll yeah. have it. But it's like those levels that they're testing at aren't quite compatible with human I see. I see. absorption ability. Okay. So it sounds like the implications of what they specifically put out there are fairly limited. They really have just drawn a pretty convincing link between caffeine and brown fat activity. Yeah, which is a big step. Of course, yeah, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean like limited as in there's nothing to get excited about here. I no, mean limited ab- as in absolutely. this is a very this is a very uh, focused paper. Yeah. And uh, there are some like specific biological implications that they talk about because they did they were pretty thorough in looking at especially for the in vitro tests what the effects were of caffeine on like the mi- mitochondrial mitochondrial generation the oxygen consumption rates the extracellular acidification rates like they came up with some specific biological metrics too so when they're talking about the future work for the study they're really interested to see like how do these effects change with dose of caffeine is there like a minimum amount of caffeine that you need to introduce to see these effects like what's sort of that threshold and i don't know it's interesting like what other foods might do this what because it like specific yeah. nutrients i should say yeah Okay, so is there like any real merit then to what these news articles were saying about like more caffeine could actually help you lose weight? Or was that really kind of, well, we know A causes B and we also know that B is related to C, therefore A causes C. More of that uh, like transitive sort of conclusion making. Gotcha. I mean, from what it looks like, stimulating brown fat in a healthy manner is good for your overall health. Okay, yeah. And caffeine seems to be doing that. And brown fat has to burn fat to create heat. So it's like, could caffeine stimulate weight loss? It's like, yeah, this could be a mechanism for it. Yeah. But again, it seems That's like not really what the, the science headlines took it a step too far. Like they sort of latched on this bigger idea that was yeah. the motivation behind the work. But like, yeah, but it was not that. really, that's not really what this paper concluded, you know, so... No, it seems there are so many other factors to weight loss that it's like. Yeah. And it's also like a shame. I don't want to say it's a shame because it's, you know, without these news articles, we wouldn't have heard about this paper. Mm-hmm. And this is really cool science. But it is just a little bit disappointing. Like, like we see with so many of these cases, they're glossing over what is really cool and breakthrough science to just pitch you like a potential maybe implication. Yeah. You know? Like the only the only interest that these articles had in talking about this was to tell you, hey, like coffee could be part of your diet plan. And it's like, well, I mean, you've drawn that conclusion yourself and not really done right by these authors who did really cool research. They didn't it's this is wasn't just analyzing nutrition, you know? Yeah. And it's like we talked about it on the replication episode where we were talking about uh richard Feynman's talk a lot mm-hmm. and you know yeah. like he mentions the physicist who's like looking for money and tries to come up with a popular application to get money yes and it's like you don't you shouldn't have to sell your research for that like it'd be nice if people saw the merit i can understand like 
that's not how the world works to an extent and you sort of have to like you know what's your 60 second elevator pitch i'm studying brown fat activation from caffeine to improve weight loss but yeah but in it's like in a very ideal sense you know i i like the richard feynman basically paraphrasing what he said about it which is kind of like it's not really your job as a scientist to convince people why this is cool and important you're not in marketing right like i think again in a very idealistic sense as scientists our job is to uncover truths you know like to find things that are kind of already there that exist as far as the universe is concerned and we hopefully are like tools to help reveal those things absolutely not to like go out there and sell why obviously there's a huge benefit to selling the implications of science yes it's made people's lives a lot better but it'd be nice if if maybe some people could appreciate just the pure science of it sometimes i don't know yeah i guess that's all i'm saying it's a neat experiment and you know at the same time am i going to use this to enjoy my cup of coffee a little more when i can't eat my eggs in the morning (laughs) every morning no probably probably now you can eat eggs because all you have to do is drink another cup of coffee and it offsets. Oh, because they showed in the paper that it reduces cholesterol. <laughs> they didn't show that, but there might. I mean, that's true. You got to drink more coffee. Uh-huh. Every egg you eat, another two cups of coffee. That sounds reasonable. You said there was one news article that you were not happy with? Yeah, for all these reasons. I'm. The New York Post said, coffee and brown fat could be the secrets of fighting obesity. And it's like, come on. I don't like I don't, I didn't see anywhere in the paper where they were like, you know, and by drinking this much coffee or caffeine, you would burn this much, you know, these many jewels, which corresponds to this much fat, which are like over this period of time, like there was none of that. Yeah. And like obesity has kind of a whole implication of not just like that physically you have some more fat on your body. It's also like all the health implications that come with being obese, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Like I'm sure obese people drink caffeine. Like if that were true, yeah, exactly. If that were true, we would know it. Like, yeah. like I think if you look at the population of like the United States, like most adults consume caffeine in one form or another. So it's like caffeine isn't the cure all for obesity, anyways. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, people wouldn't be obese. Dude, that's such a good point. That the headline says could be the secret to fighting obesity. It's like really, you're saying that in you're communicating to what is likely half of your audience is obese just based on the demographic makeup. I mean, literally half of our country is obese. Yeah. And then on top of that, you're talking about like the most popular drink and you're suggesting yeah. that somehow it's secretly the the cure. Like, no. Like people everyone are probably over caffeinated already. Yes. Everyone drinks coffee and everyone is obese, like for all intents and purposes. There's right. no secret here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's like, maybe we're getting too much caffeine and then decreasing the amount of sleep that we need or not like sleep that we need. Like we're not getting enough sleep for what we need and then we're getting social jet which is lag. also linked to obesity yeah yeah so yeah social jet lag exactly <laughs> yeah social jet lag is the is the cure the cure no that's the real enemy it's the <laughs> yeah uh, social jet lagging anyway so hopefully um that wasn't too rambling about that news article stuff new york post just got me fired up yeah and i feel like sometimes we go into this whole like Again, as Dan Carlin would say, high-minded, like, oh, well, we are scientists and, like, people should like science. and Yeah. But that's kind of silly. But we like it. We like it. And it's our show, damn it. We can say whatever we, we want. We say what we want. Yeah. Cool. So, thank you, James. That was a really fascinating paper. 
I learned what brown fat is. Yes. Which is like, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of crazy that I didn't know what that was. It's like in me. Yeah, you have you know? some. It's what bears use to hibernate, man. Oh, no way. Yep. That's so cool. Yeah. Maybe caffeine is the secret to longer hibernation. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Curing bear obesity. Bears use it all the time. <laughs> bear tested, mother approved. <laughs> uh, anyway, so cool paper. We will be posting that on our website, paperboyspodcast.com, which just got a total makeover. We're very proud of it. It's our little baby. We've been kind of chipping away at that project for a long time now. Check it out. Yeah, check awesome. it out. It's just the content is organized in hopefully a more um, digestible way and more shareable. Yes. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Check it out. Engage. Hit us up on social media, Instagram, Twitter. We'd love it. At Pod, Or shoot us an email the old-fashioned way at paperboyspod at gmail.com. And last little pitch for our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod for about the price of a cup of coffee, which oh. is a brown fat stimulator. <laughs> for yeah. about the price of one brown fat stimulation, <laughs> uh, you get a bonus episode every month and we send you a free Paperboy sticker. They're very high quality. They're great stickers. I've got about 50 on the back windshield of my car. I've been pulled over 10 times now. <laughs> and then there's also some other really cool benefits that you can get there. So go ahead and check that out. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. Thanks so much for listening. And please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paperboys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>